Welcome to this month's Invasion of the Potty People, Snakebite Horror's monthly dive into the goings-on in the world of horror. This month, you're listening to a fabulous trio of podcasters, starting with... Hi guys, James Rodriguez here, and you're all valid, you're all wonderful, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. Fabulous. And then we've also got... This is Vincent, and I'd like to thank my family and friends and all the potty people for this chance to tell my story and be heard, this incredible journey from life to death and back to life and revenge, and thus to death and peace. I hope you all enjoy reading this in your book club. I can't believe it. You like me. You really like me. And always, it's me, Russell, and I'll be marshalling these two and getting some good recommendations and other things to them all about the world of horror. Come with us on this journey as we give you the latest news that's exciting us, recommendations of juicy horror properties to get stuck into, and a preview of what to watch as we, fingers crossed, and they are pretty crossed, approach the point of cinema's reopening. But first, as we are in a weird time, I'd like to start all shows by checking in on how everyone's doing. So I'll go first. I'm actually pretty good today. I'm pretty good this week. Uh, So today we went and picked up our family's new puppy not got a name yet but we've got a lovely little uh springer spaniel cross of a labrador and he's downstairs either sleeping or playing with my wife and i've been reading a book an actual book i don't normally read it's a dangerous confession but yes i'm reading a book all about how 1999 is the best movie year ever and while i don't necessarily agree with the uh, hypothesis there it is a very convincing case being made of all the amazing films that came out that year and one of them may come up as one of my recommendations later. Vincent, how have you been? Oh, I've been doing all right. I must say, uh, Russell, I hope that your new canine in, ends up having some kind of movie-related name. Um, and that book you mentioned does sound very interesting. I can certainly get on board with the idea of, nine, well, I agree that 1999 was a good year. Um, I have been working a lot um, as a lecturer. I've had a bunch of um, marking to do recently, which is um, although ooh, it might sound like it's a painful task, actually it can be quite a pleasing and inspiring one when you see that, oh yes, students have been listening. Uh, I've not been seeing that many movies um, uh, because of all the work lately. However, I have been getting through some award films, which I will be coming back to. We're actually recording this the day before the Oscars, um, a ceremony I will certainly be watching. And James, how are you? I'm doing well today. and. It's adorable that you have a puppy. I demand (laughs) photos immediately. And I'm doing all right. Uh, As of late, I've been um, using my Kindle app on my phone to read some graphic novels on there. And I dip into the typical Marvel and DC stuff, a bit of Falcon and Scarlet Witch-related stories, considering their recent explosions in the televisual market. But I've also delved into a few smaller stuff, like this charming little tale called Roots, about one woman trying to pick herself up and traveling to Ireland to find the roots of her family. While also, but it becomes her discovering where to plant her roots, and it's a charming little romantic comedy that I would recommend checking out. And as of late, in memory of Paul Ritter, I've been revisiting Friday Night Dinner, and it's a wonderful little show, and it's just a testament to Paul Ritter's talent that he could make the words shit on it so humorous whenever he brought used it, and it never felt like, oh, this shit again. It's a wonderful show I'd recommend, especially if for any, just any British comedy fans. Yeah, I'll concur the Friday Night Dinner uh, recommendation. It is one of the best comedies of the last few years. And Paul Ritter's performance is is just marvellous. He's just a wonderful screen presence in that. And also in Chernobyl, if you want a slightly less cheery um, product starring him. Uh, which is also sort of a horror, which is a good way for us to go into talking about horror. So we're going to get into the horror and we're going to run through the stories that have stood out for us and what we think you should know right now about the horror genre. And Vincent's going to go first. What's caught your attention this month? What's caught my attention um, has been, it's kind of building on something I raised um, in our previous episode. I'm just going to talk briefly about the BAFTA results. 
um, which I watched a couple of weeks ago and was really pleased by. I thought the ceremony was very nicely done under social distancing. It was split over two nights. And my preference was actually for the first night with the so-called Below the Line Awards. Um, there was some brilliant analysis um, in this on that night about the nominees from Rihanna Dillon, Joanna Scanlon and Clara Ampho. I don't have much of an opinion on whether I agree with the awards themselves because I've you know, seen fairly few of the films, although I will come back to that. But it really was great to see so such diversity, uh, a lot of women and a lot of people of colour up for awards and indeed winning. And as I mentioned previously, horror did have some decent representation at the BAFTAs, especially in the category of outstanding debut by a British writer, director and producer. So he's got a BAFTA and loads of other plaudits, but I want to give big applause to Remy Weeks for his win for His House. That was one of my top films of last year and one I think all of us certainly found pretty damn impressive. So I'm delighted that it picked up that BAFTA. Yeah, his house is is a phenomenal work. Like, it really is a great film, and it's on Netflix, so you can go off and watch it for the price of a Netflix subscription. It's it's a deeply moving, powerful horror. It's kind of what horror can do, and it was great for it to win at the Baftas. It was yeah, it was it was a really good win for the film. But yeah, there's some I haven't seen, so um, I am sort of a bit more agnostic on the awards front this time because I haven't watched them all, which I normally get a chance to. But with one thing and another, there's been some films not released and there's been other films that have been only just released now. So, yeah. I get that as well. You'd think in a time when we'd all have to sit on our sofas and stay indoors, we'd make it easier to catch up with these films. But it feels like it's been more of a struggle this year. Like I not only with how long it waits for them to actually come out in the UK. I mean, Promising Young Woman was only last week. We still don't have Nomadland and Sound of Metal was very recently also. And I don't know, it's just felt like it's been more of a, more difficult to sit down on your sofa and watch it. Then, I mean, that's not really the way you want to sit down and watch a potential Oscar favourite. And I don't know. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think part of it is also there's a cost element because while I'm willing to pay mm-hmm. £10 for a cinema ticket, I'm not so keen to pay 10 or £15 to rent something to watch on my TV. Three or £4, fine. 15 no. So I think there's that factor as well. Uh, but hopefully we'll be seeing Nomadland soon and uh, I need to catch up on Minari and I've watched most of the others. I, there was that great week where we got Sound of Metal and Promising Young Women alongside Palm Springs and Lover Monsters. So streaming is slightly catching up, but it feels strange for me not to have spent my January watching Oscar contenders, awards contenders, because you usually get to watch about 15 of them in one month, and it's the most amazing month at the cinema. Uh, James, what's caught your attention this month? Well, in terms of let's say, hot scenes which horrifically terrified me as a child, I tend to go back to the face melting from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm using this as a tenuous connection to talk about casting news for Indiana Jones 5. Now, casting is ramping up for this film, which is going to be directed by James Mangold. I wonder if his handling of Logan, which saw a a well-beloved and iconic hero come to his to his conclusion after so long as a factor in it. But I guess we'll find out. Now, as of recently, we've had Phoebe Waller-Bridge announced as joining the cast, and incels have reacted exactly as you'd sadly expect. And over the past few days, we've also had Thomas Kretschmann. He was cast over the past few days. But what I want to zero in on is the fact that they've cast, who should be a Best Actor contender this year, Mass Mickelson. And considering he's known for playing bad guys in American films, I'm guessing he's not playing a cuddly figure. I mean, I'd love it if he was on Indiana Jones's side. Maybe less so in the way Ray Winston was in that recent Indiana Jones film people don't like to talk about. But I would like to see him be helping him along the way. But it's more likely he's just going to eat his spleen. But 
I guess we'll see when this film's released on July 29th, 2022. Unless the date changes. Well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's it's casting that certainly makes me more interested in this film. I I like two of the um, Indiana Jones films a lot. Another one I'm fine with some of it, and there's another one that we'll probably best not to speak of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Matt's keeps being cast in films that I really shouldn't be that interested in, but it makes me now want to go watch them. So he's going to pop up in the next Fantastic Beasts film, and I really don't want to see that film, but... If he's in it, I'm intrigued, and yeah, I, I'm a little bit more interested. Plus, the director has made some truly great films. His last film, Ford v Ferrari, is a stonkingly enjoyable film, and so I don't want to want to see Indiana Jones 5, because I think that The Last Crusade ends the series perfectly, but I might just have to. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I agree. It's um, nice that... Um... It would be nice to see Mars Mickelson playing a more sort of benevolent role, perhaps if he was like in the role of um, uh, Marcus Brody uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark and, uh, the Tem- and, the, and the Last Crusade. However, I suspect you're probably right, um, James, and he's going to end up um, playing the villain. That said, uh, you never know. Um, anything's possible. Uh, but I will certainly be pleased to see it. And I think the presence of James Mangold and the absence of Steven Spielberg is interesting for Indiana Jones 5, as of course is the absence of George Lucas and the film that we don't like to talk about, but I will. I think that George Lucas's writing was the work, was the biggest problem um, for The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. With him out, we may yet see great things. Yeah, and I'll take this opportunity just to kind of circle back to what Vincent was talking about and just say... When it comes out, please all go and see Another Round. It is one of two films that last year's London Film Festival made me cry. Mads is phenomenal in it. In fact, the entire cast is great, and it's one of the most interesting films I've seen in a long time. So if there's one thing that can come out of this, I mean, you'll probably also see Indiana Jones 5. Also check out Another Round. Uh, so my pick this month is I've gone for the trailer release for Zack Snyder and Netflix upcoming zombie-packed action epic Army of the Dead. So this trailer came out a couple of weeks ago now for what is coming out on the 21st of May, which is Zack Snyder's return to the zombie genre. And we've talked about Zack Snyder before. He's had quite a interesting year so far with the Snyder Cut seemingly pulling off the impossible and making a Justice League worth our time. And he's going to come back with a new film in the zombie genre and Whatever you might think of Zack Snyder, we can all agree that his Dawn of the Dead remake is a lot of fun. And so I rewatched it a couple of days ago, had a well of a time of it. It's fast, mean, lean. Uh, I'm not sure if this will, apparently this is over two hours, so we'll see what happens. So this is the story of a group of mercenaries who go into a zombie field Las Vegas to pull a heist. And it's, it's a heist film mixed with a zombie film. And it all seems like this fun uh, brew of a film. Dave Batista's in there in the lead. And the trailer makes it look like a lot of fun, quite silly, very epic. Kind of reminded me of the game Dead Rising, which I don't know if anyone's played, but that's where you're in a mall with zombies for three days and you just go around and kill them. So if this is as fun as the trailer is, if it lives up to all that promise that Dawn of the Dead has, if it can sort of rein in some of Snyder's excess and focus it in on being a really fun zombie film, then I am all for Army of the Dead being just something I, I will enjoy watching because when when there's a good zombie film, you have fun. I mean, some of them aren't great, but some of them are really good. And I have faith that Army of the Dead might actually be a really good film. Yeah, when it comes to zombies, it feels like there's as much as it can get tired, as much as you can see the same shit over and over again, there's also that feeling of, to quote Inception, try and dream a little bigger, darling. If we get more stuff like A Train to Busan, Girl with All the Gifts, One Cut of the Dead, these different ways to approach zombies, then we're going to fa- keep having inventive ideas and wonderful new takes on what can feel tired and shambling and a bit slow moving. But to try and liken it to zombies but i digress i think 
zombie apocalypse mixed with heist drama is quite an interesting idea. And while I've been, I've not exactly been quiet about, I'm not a fan of much of Snyder's work, but I do, I do really like what he did with Dawn of the Dead. So I'm actually quite excited to see what he's going to do with Army of the Dead. And I'm looking forward to this. I concur. I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, I did a, um, I, I, I ran a quiz round um, a while ago um, on uh, Zack Snyder and checking that um, his version of Dawn of the Dead is the highest rated film that he uh, on Rotten Tomatoes that he's made. Um, and it's interesting to think back to that because one thing that is most memorable about um, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is that it's fast. Not only are the zombies fast moving, but so is the film. And compare that to what he would go on to do with things like Watchmen and uh, Justice League. They are anything but fast. So it will be interesting to see in the case of Army of the Dead, do we get a return to sort of um, a fast, snappy, ferocious kind of visual style? Or is it going to be a long, slow, ponderous, shambling kind of zombie movie, which frankly sounds rather painful? I must say the idea of a heist during a kind of zombie, one assumes apocalypse, sounds a bit weird. What are they going to be heisting? But then again, maybe that's kind of part of the idea. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll you know, colour me intrigued. You ready to play? There's $200 million in the vault beneath the strip. With a 32-hour window to get it out. Find the safe. This should be a simple in and out. It's not too late to go back. Yeah, so that's coming to Netflix uh, in May. Uh, but as much fun as it is to watch films on streaming, and there's been some great streaming releases of late. I mentioned Palm Springs, which I really want to watch again, and I'm sure we'll get into one or two others in a bit. What we've all kind of been missing, or certainly I have, is cinema. And so we're going to do a little preview of what is coming and what we hope will be releasing soon as we hopefully maybe potentially almost certainly approach the point where cinemas will be able to reopen, which is hopefully going to be on May the 17th. So let's see what happens. So for all of us, it's been a long four, five, six, 13 month, maybe even gap. So some of us might have not been to the cinema in this entire pandemic time. And so we thought we'd each pick a trio of films that we are excited to probably maybe hopefully finally get to see some of them are delayed some of them are films that were made during the pandemic and so there's this like really interesting mix of films coming out of films that should have come out up to a year ago and some of us that have kind of been made because of this moment so first up james what have you picked for my first pick i went for the green knight now director david lowry has let's say, an eclectic filmography. He began with A Criminal Romance with Ain't Them Body Saints and then moved on to what probably the best live-action Disney adaptation with Pete's Dragon. Then we had A Ghost Story, which is notable for being the film where Rooney Mara just sits down and eats a whole pie. And then we had The Old Man and the Gun, which was an aging criminal tale, which was meant to be the last film of Robert Redford until Avengers Endgame came out. And he's moved on to the story of Sir Gawain, uh, who's going to be played by the marvellous Dev Patel, and where he embarks on a quest to confront a gigantic green-skinned green stranger known as, what's he known as? The Green Knight! <gasps> now, usually I'd say avoid the trailers, but I'd say watch the trailer for this, and this is why I'm so excited, because... It's A24, and they're not exactly ones for spoiling everything in their trailers, as as people remember who've seen Hereditary remember. And what this one looks like is medieval fantasy told in a way re resembling a psychological thriller. And it looks really interesting, and I cannot wait for this gorgeous-looking film to come out. And my next choice is Candyman. No, not the 1992 Candyman. But this new one, which has the same name as is the trend with horror films. And this one's directed by Nia DaCosta, 
who gave us the excellent thriller Crossing the Line, which is known as Littlewoods elsewhere in the world, but was changed over here because of the clothing, um, the clothing service, Littlewoods. This is genuine. I'm not joking. And she's also an upcoming director on Captain Marvel 2. Now, Jordan Peele is producing and co-writing the script, but this is very much near the Costas film. Get her name right, people. It's only been so long. The story has the Cabrini Green neighborhood, which the Candyman terrified for so long in the original film. It's now become gentrified. And the film follows an artist named Anthony, who's played by Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, who becomes aware of the true story behind this, this horrific legend. And now anybody who's watched HBO's Watchmen miniseries will understand why I'm fully on board for a project just because Yaya's starring in it. He's, I call him one of the best actors working today. So front-loading this film, which is essentially a sequel to 1992's Masterwork, which tackled social issues and the power of legends while also being a compelling piece of horror. And it's very interesting that for a film which is considered such a big part of, of African-American culture, this is the first, the first film to actually be handled by people of colour. And it's the first director in the franchise who isn't a white man. So I hope, so when I, d I do love the original film, but people do take issue with some elements of it falling into tropes and uh, negative stereotypes. So this gives me hope that we're going to have something which is aware, uh, more aware and, oh, ugh, fucking frightening. And the last film I picked is Nightmare Alley, which I picked solely because it's the latest film from Guillermo del Toro, following up on his Oscar-winning The Shape of Water. But then, look at the cast. Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman, Rooney Mara, Tim Blake Nelson. I could go on, but it's already impressive enough. Now, the story as Bradley Cooper played this ambitious carny who has a talent for manipulating people with his words. And he hooks up with his psychiatrist, who's played by Kate Blanchett. And... Only thing is, she's more dangerous than he is. <gasps> now, it's out on December 3rd in the US, so we'll likely get over here in January or February. But those are my three choices, and I really hope to see them some point this year or early next year. I mean, any Guillermo del Toro film for me, I will be there opening night to wallow in it. And the other two are definitely two films that I've waited, we've all waited a long time for because they're two of the more delayed uh, releases so yeah definitely free films that i will be there pretty much opening night for all of them oh yeah uh, so i i for my picks i've picked two films that i'm fairly certain will get in june and an october release that feels a bit more precarious but one i really 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 want to see so there's two that you can probably definitely see and one that we'll see what happens but at some point we're definitely going to get to watch so my first pick comes out on the 18th of June and it's in the earth. And this is, this is of my picks, the one that has come about because of the pandemic. So this is Ben Wheatley's project because he had time in his hands because of the pandemic sort of slowed down his work on his next film, the Meg two. And so it's a new horror from Ben Wheatley. And, and I love Ben Wheatley, but his films are a bit more hit and miss, but his horrors tend to really hit. So he's done kill list. He's in a field in England the bits of high rides I like are the bits that are kind of like a loopy sci-fi horror. So there's so much potential here. This premiered at Sundance and it mostly positive reviews. Some people a bit um, weren't into it, but from what I can see, what I can judge, it looks trippy and weird and interesting. It's IMDB synopsis is just that as the world searches for a cure to a disastrous virus, Hey, <laughs> There we are. A scientist and park scout venture deep in the forest for a routine equipment run. So we are firmly in folk horror territory, which is one of the two subgenres that really terrifies me. And it's from Ben Wheatley. And in the cast is none other than Reese Shearsmith, our beloved Reese Shearsmith, who is responsible for so many amazing works on TV, who pops up in some wonderfully odd horror films, who was last with Ben Wheatley for a field in England, which is trippy as so this has the makings for being 
a really interesting horror film. And one more thing, Clint Mansell did the soundtrack for this and he recorded the sound of plants for the soundtrack. And I have no idea how we did it, what that means, but I'm all on board for those kind of bonkers details. So yeah, I have faith that In the Earth is going to be quite weird, a bit trippy and very Ben Wheatley. My next pick comes out, in fact, a week later. So one of the uh, perks of being in a pandemic and having all these films ready for release is that if all goes according to plan, we're going to have from like the middle of June through to October, November, December time, basically each week, one or two films that you're going to want to watch. But this one is coming on the 25th of June and it's freaky. That's not what it is. That's its title. So this was meant to come out on Boxing Day, but as we're all very aware, cinemas closed after Christmas. And so this got de- delayed and it looks like a heap of fun. It's a body swap horror from Blumhouse and it is uh, how to describe it. So it's about a young girl in high school who uh, is attacked by a serial killer and ends up swapping bodies with said serial killer. And it's from the same director who did the Happy Death Day movie. So it has that kind of fun, cute, kooky quality. The Happy Death Day films are terrific fun if you want to just have a bit of a silly laugh. And they also are fairly, at least the first one is a fairly enjoyable time loop comedy horror in the same way that Palm Strings is a very fun time loop comedy sci-fi. And this is the two leads are Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton. And Vince Vaughn is a bit hit and miss, and some of us may have some rather troubling memories of his time doing Psycho, the remake, which I actually saw before the original and never seen it again. But he can do great work. If you've seen Brawl in Cell Block 99, you'll know that Vince Vaughn, on a good day, is a great actor. And also has Catherine Newton, who has been really good in some teen comedies in her career. So this looks like a lot of fun. It looks very silly. It came out a long time ago in America, and I really want to watch this film. I really wanted to watch it over Christmas, but obviously what we've been going through has meant that it will now be coming out in June, and I will be there, and I really hope you'll go watch it too. And my last pick, and this for me feels a bit more precarious because, as we've learned, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what path is going to be taken during a pandemic. So I've picked an October release, but it's an October release from Edgar Wright. So this is Last Night in Soho, and it's due out on the 29th of October. And again, another long-delayed film should have come out roughly that time last year. Uh, It's been ready for months now. But this is also another time-loopy, time-travelly film. So this is about a young girl who is somehow able to enter the 1960s. So she lives today and is able to go back in time to the 1960s where she meets her icon who is this uh, singer but uh, the 1960s London is not what it seems and it says here and time seems to fall apart with shady consequences so it's uh, I think he said it was a bit like don't look now which if that's his reference point goodness it could be good Edgar Wright is a director who makes Really interesting, really good films. His last film was several years ago. It was Baby Driver. It was, in fact, before the whole Kevin Spacey's career blew up because we learned far too much about him (laughs) area. (laughs) And yeah, I've been eager for a new Edgar Wright since Baby Driver's credits started to roll. And this one has Anya Taylor-Joy, who we all know from The Witch, but who is in the sort of career high because of Emma and uh, the, The Queen's Gambit over on Netflix has Matt Smith, has a cast that has a lot of interesting actors in it. And it promises to be potentially something special. And I really, really, really hope we get to watch this in October because as much as I'm going to enjoy something like Halloween Kills or any number of the other horrors that are coming out, a kind of strange, kind of horror, kind of thriller, kind of sci-fi time travel piece is just right up my avenue. So yeah, Those are my free picks, and I really hope they all stick to their release dates. Uh, Vincent, what have you picked? Well, I've picked um, a few, uh, three films that are not due out for quite some time, 
Um, so hopefully they will actually come out when they're expected. Uh, the first is Halloween Kills, the sequel, as it were, to uh, 2018's Halloween by David Gordon Green, which was, of course, supposed to come out last year, but <laughs> that didn't happen. So hopefully it will actually be out this year. I'm particularly keen on how to see Halloween Kills because over the past year, like many of us, I suspect I've had a look at some um, movies that I often thought might be fun to look at. In this case, the Halloween franchise. So I've been working my way through that franchise and it's kind of been demonstrating the law of diminishing returns. And I rounded this off by seeing by rewatching on Halloween last year, the 2018 Halloween, which proved to be a welcome return to the stripped down nature of John Carpenter's original. So what I am hoping for in Halloween Kills is more of the intense focus of both 1978 and 2018. Um, so intense focus of the slasher, but nicely balanced with some, I think, quite progressive gender politics. So more, please. My second pick is The Eternals uh, by, from the MCU. And by the time uh, this podcast goes out, Chloe Zhao may well have won the Oscar for directing, making her the first Oscar winner to have directed an MCU film. And I think, how fitting is it that a woman of colour be dealing with a very diverse cast of characters and performers, diverse in terms of race, sexuality, and disability? Now, the idea of a superhero movie about immortal beings that have shaped Earth civilizations is intriguing, and I feel that on a number of levels, um, this could be a game changer for the franchise and indeed for the superhero genre more generally. Um, not least because a lot of this has been shot on location with a lot of natural light. So I think it's uh, going to be different, and I think it's going to be really interesting. And the, my third pick is another film that was due out last year and has been pushed back, and that film is. Dune. Now, Dune is a film that comes with massive expectations and trepidation, but I have two words that give me faith in it, and those words are Denny Villeneuve. To give some more words, I love epic science fiction, but it is so hard to do well. How does one marshal the elements of making something that is um, epic yet also has the right kind of, if you like, scientific reasoning that it doesn't spill into kind of fantasy territory. And it can be done. I mean, the obvious example would be Star Wars, but I've got to say Star Wars is a patchy saga at best. Now, I should say I've got no great attachment to Dune prior to this. I've never read it. I've not seen the David Lynch film or indeed the TV versions. I will get around to them at some point. But I think that this version of Dune has the potential to be something definitive. And I have faith in uh, Denis Villeneuve because he hasn't let me down yet. And I genuinely think each film he's made has been better than the last. And especially after the awe-inspiring delivery of Blade Runner 2049, I have high hopes. So three fairly different films, I think. Halloween Kills, The Eternals, and Dune, all of which I am very eagerly anticipating. Yeah, those are three films that, if they all get pulled off rightly, will be great films to watch. I, I am very excited for Halloween Kills. I as I was surprised how much I liked The Last Halloween, because it really does an effective job of just taking it back to what I enjoy about the original. And Dune, in particular, is a film that I really, really want to pull off. The trailer for it, I saw it in a cinema before Christmas, and it was... Phenomenal. It's the kind of film that you want to watch on the biggest screen possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, June is just... I've re read the book recently, and it's lengthy, but it is an absolutely marvellous story. And if they... Well, if they pull this off, then it's going to be such a wonderful thing to, to watch. And it is a lengthy book, so it's helpful that they've already announced their intentions to do two films to tell the whole story rather than trying to compact it into one. And I'll be interested to see where the split is. I have an idea in mind, but I would say 
it's worth your time reading the original novel and just to get a feel of the story and to it's probably probably the best way to come into the story i have no words about the lynch film because i haven't seen it no no i no i haven't yet seen the lynch film he doesn't like it does he (laughs) nope does anybody (laughs) never met a fan there was a great story about um because it was meant to be Alejandro Jodorowsky, who was meant Indeed. to do a massive story of the film. And so when Lynch's film was released, he went to the cinema and he was worried about what the film was going to be like. And he was worried that all that time and effort he put into it and someone's made a better film than him. And then he said something like, within 10 minutes, I had no worries. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it. What did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dream them? So yeah, so that's what we're excited for as and when cinemas reopen. And I really would like it to be in May because I really have missed cinema. But before that point, we've got some recommendations you can watch. We've got some films you can find on streaming. So We've got stuff that will tide you over until the point you feel comfortable going back in the cinema. And if you don't feel comfortable going back into the cinema yet, we completely understand it is a, a you'll know when you're ready, essentially. So um, I will go first with my something old, something new and something not a movie. And I'll begin with the old, which taps back into that book I've been reading recently. And one of the big horror releases of 1999 was a teeny tiny budget film called the Blair Witch Project and you've probably all seen the Blair Witch Project by this point and if you have you should definitely revisit and if you haven't well what are you doing listening to us pause this go off and watch it and come back because the Blair Witch Project is a film that I find utterly compelling and terrifying it is Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez's found footage uh, work about three film students who vanish in the Maryland forest whilst trying to make a documentary about a local legend of the Blair Witch. And this is their footage. And the ending is now iconic. And I'm not going to spoil the ending if you haven't seen it, but the ending is one of the most iconic endings ever. There's other moments that are etched firmly onto our shared horror consciousnesses. And it's, and I, so I revisited this the other day and it still holds up. It still unnerves me. It still feels like if you can trick your brain into thinking it's real, it feels like you're watching something you shouldn't be watching. You feel like you shouldn't be watching the film that you are if if you believe if you can trick yourself into thinking it's real. And it's yeah, it's wonderful. And that's on iPlayer. So you, you can go off and watch that for free. And I really would recommend a revisit to the Blair Witch Project because it's one of the most interesting films that came out of its time. And it has been so influential since. It has influenced so much what we have made since as, as a horror genre, the wave of found footage films that came out would probably not have existed without the Blair Witch Project. And there are found footage films before this, uh, but this is the one that I think is, is one of the best examples of the genre. I'll go on to my something new. And so uh, I almost covered Palm Springs in this because this is like the second or third or fourth time I've referred to this film and you can tell that I had a really great time in Palm Springs, but it's not, it's not, it's not even remotely a horror film uh, beyond the existential horror of having to repeat the same day on loop. But it is uh, a great watch that is 90 minutes and is on Amazon Prime right now. But instead, my something new is a Canadian horror called Come True. So I saw the trailer for this a couple of months ago. The poster kind of haunted me for a bit. It just felt like a film I had to go off and watch. So I paid money and I rented it and it was only two pounds on Amazon. So it's really a very affordable watch for you. And so this comes from Anthony Scott Burns and it tells of a, of a teenager who is having trouble sleeping and is getting nightmarish visions of a shadowy figure and is really just having a bad time. So she takes part in a sleep study that sort of studies what she's seeing and it becomes a stranger, more interesting film and then the last act is is definitely one of those last acts that will divide the audience right down the middle. I came on the side that I really liked what it was doing, but you might hate the ending. You might think the ending ruins things. But for me, the ending is a really interesting choice that they're making, and it all kind of fits in 
for what's going on in the film. So I won't spoil it. It has in Julia Sarah Stone a really great lead performance. And stylistically, it feels great. It feels kind of Cronenberg-y, kind of carpentry. There's a there's a great soundtrack to it, and it kind of feels uh, timeless in a way that I really liked. And it also sort of reminded me of a film called Felma, which I don't think enough people have seen, which I saw several years ago and and is another film worth seeking out. But yeah, come true. It's a really affordable rental. And if you don't like the last act, you'll definitely be into the first two. So the journey to the ending is great. And then the ending is one of those wonderful endings where you'll either think that what you're watching is not as good as you thought it was or is in fact better than it, you thought it was and finally my something not a movie is wellington paranormal so i'm sure many of you love uh what we did in the, what we do in the shadows which is one of the best comedy films and one of the best comedy uh shows of the last few years uh, and this follows the police force that we briefly see in the film as they investigate more strange goings on and it follows two police officers in new zealand as they investigate paranormal activities. And it comes from Jermaine Clement and Taki Watiti. And it's just a wonderfully silly and very enjoyable and, and has that kind of vibe that what we do in the shadows gets so well. So this is like, if you've watched all of those, and I've watched the TV show three or four times now, and it's not been around that long, but it is one of those comfort watches. And I've seen the film multiple times i think i saw it two or three times last year because again it's another one of those comfort watches because it's just a very easy to watch film and this is on that same level so you can have even more of this wonderfulness there are three seasons now on now tv or now as it's now known there are 19 episodes to enjoy and i really really recommend this film it has some wonderful performances it's quite silly and uh, it's just the perfect thing to watch as you find something to watch in the evening. And it's not that difficult to watch. It's very gentle. It's very enjoyable. Vincent, what have you got recommended for this month? Um, I will just uh, sort of second initially your recommendation for the Blair Witch Project. I remember seeing that in a cinema back in 1999 and being chilled to the bone. And then I rewatched it for the first time only last year. And my God, does it still work? So yeah, totally. Um, that's one to think of. Now, going to my recommendations, I mentioned um, earlier, I've spoken a bit about awards. And I want to recommend the Mauritanian uh, which is available on Amazon Prime. And this had multiple BAFTA nominations, and it also won Jodie Foster the Golden Globe for Supporting Actress. It's not necessarily horror, but it is certainly horrific. Um, this is a hard-hitting and true story of oppression and injustice, the telling of one's story, and the fight for freedom and truth. Now, it concerns a uh, Mauritanian individual called uh, Mohamedou Ulds Slahi, who was um, arrested for being the uh, one of the planners of the 9-11 attacks. Um, now, the treatment of terror suspects has been a social concern for two decades. It's notable that we're all, it's now 20 years since the 9-11 attacks. Which, and of course, terrorist attacks are utterly horrific. But so is the response that the rest of us have to the threat and indeed the, in big scare quotes, wet civilized world's treatment of those suspected. Now, what the Mauritanian does is it shows the human horror through the specific case of Mohamed Ulzlahi and his incarceration at the US base in Guantanamo. What I, the way I'm describing it, it probably sounds like a sort of torture drama, like Zero Dark Thirty or Rendition, um, or even a horror sub, the, the torture porn subgenre. But that's not really the case. It's a legal drama with Mohamedou's lawyer, Nancy Hollander, played by Jodie Foster, trying to get her client brought back into the rule of law. And I think that's important because this... Uh, the suspension of legal rights, habeas corpus, that is a kind of broad social horror. And how easy is it that the rights and privileges that we take for granted are withdrawn? And I think that's hugely relevant, especially with the current debate in the UK over the police crime sentencing and courts bill, which would severely restrict the right to protest 
and protests have been held against it. So I see the Mauritanian as kind of a social horror film, um, which demonstrates the uh, the overriding of legal rights for the sake of political expediency. Um, this eroding of rights has been ongoing, and that is really scary. Looking at the film in particular, specifically, um, there's one particular sequence when director Kevin MacDonald gives the viewer Mohamedou's perspective as his world becomes distorted and confusing. There's some physical abuse, such as waterboarding, but there's also imagery that actually reminded me of films like Saw and You're Next. And uh, it's even more uh, chilling to think that these materials, this experience is drawn from the memoir that Mohamedou wrote. He was incarcerated for 14 years without trial or even charge. So that's pretty damn scary. And I think this is a film that needs to be seen. That's my something new. My something old is The Crow, something um, that I meant to see for a long time. I remember when it came out in 1994, seeing the advertisements for it um, and thought it looked kind of interesting, but I never somehow got round to it until the, the, the last month. It was recommended as a kind of superhero film, but where you've effectively got the Joker in the role of Batman. Now, the film is most famous for the death of Brandon Lee on set due to a tragic accident, which indeed led to new safety regulations. But that was all I knew about the film. Having seen it, I can report that it is super stylish and often very atmospheric. And there were a couple of things that surprised me. One of them is that Brandon Lee was a martial artist, like his father Bruce, but none of the action sequences looked like martial artistry. It was straightforward combat and a certain amount of gore. Now, it looked good, but I felt it was a bit of a missed opportunity. I also had an interesting discussion about this uh, movie because I posted in a Facebook discussion group that I found the film stylish and atmospheric, but also somewhat hollow. Now, another person in this group took me to task over my hollow comment, saying that it wasn't hollow because it's about grief, revenge, and whether or not revenge makes things better. Now, that poster wasn't wrong, and I do wonder maybe if my standards are too high, and I wonder if this is, might be a topic we come back to with somebody else's pick in a few minutes. But while The Crow is about grief and revenge and so on, I don't necessarily think it does much with them. I felt there's little exploration beyond straightforward presentation. So while it has these themes, I think they are themselves presented somewhat hollowly. Therefore, I am probably being too picky because there's plenty about The Crow to recommend it. So I do, with that caveat. Um, I'd be interested to know what uh, you guys happen to think of The Crow or indeed The Mauritanian, um, if you've seen it, before I get on to my non-film pick. I haven't seen The Mauritanian, but The Crow was a favourite of mine during my teenage years. And I haven't Sorry. Watched... Sorry for slacking it off then. No, no, it's all right. Um uh, no, but I haven't seen it in quite a while, but I do remember quite liking it. But the thing I take away from it is that the film is unintentionally, by the end of it, born from a place of sorrow and loss, much in the way the original graphic novel the film was based on was created out of James O'Barr's sorrow, loss and regret of his partner at the time and i think that's what comes through with the crow it's from cr initial creation to the final project it's a sorrowful film that no matter no matter how many people you kill no matter what actions you take you can't change that the person you love is gone and it's may look cool but it's inherently sad at that core of it and i think that's a lightning in a bottle thing that i hope a remake doesn't come about because this is a story which you could do just another crow another person dealing with loss hell they done with director dvd sequels but they're intent on remaking the crow whether it be jason momoa or bradley cooper or tom hiddleston you know three people of very similar caliber it seems but that's just my thoughts fair enough 
I've yeah, I've never seen The Crow. It's one of those films that I guess because I've read the stories around the making of it and because it is this continued property that is approached for sequels and remakes and and many of the projects don't come to task. I guess I just haven't sat down and watched the film because I, I kind of find the story around it slightly more enticing to me, the the making of. But it is one of these films that I will one day sit down and watch. And I, yeah, I'm curious as to what it's like. And I haven't seen the, the Mauritanian yet, but it does look interesting. And Jodie Foster is always worth a watch. She is always interesting. Even if I don't love the film she's in, I'm always interested in what she's doing on screen. Indeed, yeah, she certainly is. And I will also say um, on the Mauritanian, Taha Rahim, um, who plays um, Marmadou, he is um, very impressive. Going back to my picks, my non-horror pick is a novel. It is The Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying, written by Grady Hendrix. Now, another question for you, gentlemen. What does that title suggest to you? The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. A nice slice of Southern Gothic vampire horror, maybe? Okay. It sounds like it could be a kind of, I don't want to say parody, but a light-hearted take, potentially? Indeed. Yeah, and that's what I thought. I thought it sounded like some kind of weird combination of kind of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and True Blood. Um, you're not wrong on the kind of southern gothic side of it um but i thought it sounded like a kind of a light-hearted and almost comedic um delivery as well which it really isn't um the book is set over much of the 1990s in a wealthy suburb in georgia complete with various prejudices about uh, around class race and gender um it centers around um, a group of housewives and their book club they get obsessed with true crime, especially, and discussions arise over a handsome new neighbour, a neighbour who needs an invitation and is very averse to sunlight. Well, here's a shocker. Weird shit starts happening. Now, on the one hand, this is a southern gothic tale of the uncanny, the familiar and the unfamiliar, and a disruption to a status quo where certain things are simply expected not to happen. We don't get those things in this neighbourhood. That accent was awful. Um, but it's also a pretty powerful story, I found, of female oppression and indeed empowerment. There's one key scene in it where the various housewives are essentially trapped by their husbands. They are shamed, they are gaslit, they are coerced and abused in the most skin-crawling ways. Now, so it's a very gripping read, and it does what so much horror does so well. It explores social and political issues through uncanny elements, reminding us that the true horror is all around us. So yeah, Grady Hendrix's The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, I highly recommend. That sounds like a good read. I will add it to my list of books. Maybe after the book I'm reading now I've finished, I'll go on to that one. If you do, let me know how you find it. Uh, James, what are your recommendations for this month? <clears throat> well, for my something old, I decided to fill in a prominent blind spot on a my favourite director, one John Carpenter, and I decided to give a try In the Mouth of Madness. Now, the basic premise is horror writer Sutter Kane has disappeared. He's essentially a stand-in for Stephen King, it feels like, but he's a prominent horror writer, and because he writes horror, people were like, oh, this is very well written. Just a shame it's horror. And we have Sam Neill, who's an insurance investigator, and he's tasked with finding out what's actually happened to Kane. And his his investigation takes him to this sleepy little town called Hobbs End, and it's there he discovers that there's power to what Kane has written. And what we have is this very smart tale built around this meta-narrative, and it's delivered in such creepy ways. And what we have is this wonderful mixture of Lovecraft and novella horror. Now, 
this hasn't gotten a physical media release in the UK. I think Shout Factory did a pretty good release of it over in America. So if you're one for importing, that's probably your best bet. Otherwise, you'll just have to rent it. But it's worth the watch. And by the end of it, you'll just be going to people, do you read Sutter Kane? Now, for my something new, I've decided to go for Promising Young Woman which is one of the Oscar nominees, which has finally made its way over to the UK. And my God, was it worth the wait? So it stars Carrie Mulligan, who plays Cassie, this woman who's has this weekly ritual of going to a bar and pretending to be drunk. It's all an act to lure in predatory men, those quote-unquote nice guys who comment on how makeup is oppressive to women and their looks when all they really want to do is bring her home and take advantage in their disgusting way and that's when cassie pops up and chooses to act her enact her revenge and it all comes from a place of deep hurt and this tragic story at in the midst of this dark tale And what writer and director Emerald Fennell has done is tell this story of such dark subject matter in a bubblegum aesthetic. And it's pitch black tale of revenge, which takes no prisoner in its critique of rape culture from its from its beginning, which draws you in to its absolutely unforgettable ending. I would say come for Mulligan's excellent performance. Stay for the fantastic soundtrack because you'll be humming a Paris Hilton song by the end of it. And I never thought I'd say that, but it's true. That's really scary. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's available to watch on Sky Cinema. You can't rent it at this moment, but I definitely recommend taking a seven-day free trial or even paying for a month just to try it. Of course, only if you can, but I would very much recommend it. And I hope it does well at the Oscars. Now, for my Something Not a Film, I've decided to go for an indie video game which came out a few years back called Crawl. Now, it's nothing to do with Alexandre Azure 2019 Crocodile film. Now, as lockdown rules are easing, I would suggest this is a great game for you to play with friends. So when we're allowed indoors again, it's a wonderful way to pass the time and bond with these people whose houses you probably haven't been in for well over a year by now. But it is also available on Nintendo Switch, so anyone who can, you can play outside in this sunny climate where you can hang out with your friends. And I keep saying this because it's a game best played with many players. Now, what essentially, you're in this dungeon, and what it begins with is this initial battle from all the players. And the one, like a battle royale, and the one victorious player takes on the role of hero. Now, what happens is the hero is meant to advance through these randomly generated dungeons, while the remaining players take on the form of ghosts. And their goal is to possess monsters and traps to try and hinder our hero. The intention of it all is for the ghost to kill the hero. And whichever ghost gets the killing blow, they replace them in the role of hero. And the former hero then becomes a ghost. This cycle keeps occurring... And it's it's much fun. You're going to curse your friends out many times. And it all keeps going until the hero reaches a certain point to defeat a final boss. It can be this Aztec figure that's stuck in the ground. It can be this Cthulhu-like creature. Or it can be this Hydra fuckhead. That's not its actual name. But the main thing with each of those monsters is... They have multiple limbs and the other players can control them because all they want to do is stop the hero to fuck them over. And you have three chances to beat this creature. Otherwise, it's game over. And and we get text saying they've risen up and destroyed the world. Congratulations. You fucked it all. Now, matches typically last about half an hour. And it becomes easy to play through a majority games in quick session because it will be a case of, no, I want to do this again. And this time I'm going to fuck you over. It's such a fun game. It's available on all gaming platforms. I'd thoroughly recommend it. It's, It's definitely worth the time.
I must say, I'm kind of disappointed that uh, the creature is not actually called Hydra Fuckhead because that's something, that's a kind of end of level boss you want to kill. <laughs> oh, anybody wants creature names? Come to me. <laughs> Can I ask you, James? Um, a reason I mentioned, um, I, I thought we might come back around to this. I thought the promising young woman gave a for my money anyway, a far more um, um, interesting um, exploration of kind of ideas of grief and revenge than The Crow did. That's why I mentioned it. I mean, they're not the most obviously comparable films, but do you think they've got some similar kind of themes in that respect? I can see what you mean. They both have the avenging hero role, uh, even if they're not strictly a hero as we understand the word. And their means may not be the most, um, uh, they may be more of a gray area than you'd expect a heroic figure to take on. And it is taken from painful and real places because, let's face it, what's more of a horror shit show than what women have to face in this day and age? Hell, in any day and age. Oh, yeah, totally. But and perhaps that's a thing to be said about uh, the protagonists of revenge dramas. They do tend to be um, well. Let's face it: if you're seeking revenge, you're probably kind of fucked up. And it's they tend to be um, anti-heroes, I guess. And we could consider um, Carrie Mulligan's Cassie something of an anti-heroine in in this particular tale. Um, plus, it ties into. A, both you know, these and many a revenge drama that's a very long-standing tradition i mean you can go back to shakespeare um, or even ancient greek theater many a tragedy many a revenge um, narrative there which turns into something tragic whether modern ones aren't so inclined to go down the tragic route well that's probably up for the viewer to decide mm. i have many 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 thoughts on promising young women and I can't really talk about many of them because most of them need to be uh, talking in spoiler terms. But all I'll say is that I really hope that Carrie gets the Oscar. I think her performance is uh, truly remarkable and is is probably the reason for me the film works is because her performance is just complicated and nuanced and there's a lot going on there. And it's just, yeah, she is really quite special in the film. I watched a John Carpenter film this month, but I didn't watch anything anywhere near as good as In the Mouth of Madness. I watched Ghosts of Mars. Oh, dear. It's <laughs> really quite something. I never thought I would so dislike a John Carpenter film that stars Jason Statham because on paper that sounds like the most fun, but I really can't recommend seeking out Ghosts of Mars. And John Carpenter is a phenomenal director, but no. <laughs> Perhaps it might be better to say John Carpenter was a phenomenal director and then kind of lost his mojo. Yeah, but I mean, In the Mouth of Madness is a really interesting film and probably his last like great film. So, yeah, and I, I also love Prince of Darkness, which is kind of thematically linked. Yeah, yeah, but no, Ghost yeah. of Mars was. I've, I've yeah. had a um, discussion of uh, John Carpenter's kind of end of the world trilogy with the thing. Um, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness, all of which I uh, I actually saw in the last year, two of them for the first time. Yeah, they're hmm. very interesting. I think I read somewhere that Ghost of Mars was originally meant to be a Snake Plissken story. Yes, I heard that too. It was going to be Escape from Mars. Okay. I mean, Escape from LA is another one of his that... Uh... Is appalling? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. It's really great. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, no. Very. I'm a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Cool. So those are our recommendations of the month there's a load of uh films for you to watch there's a tv show there's a game and there's a book and you can all go off and watch play read do whatever you want and we will come back next month with more recommendations but before we all say goodbye here's where you can find us vincent where can people find you uh people can find me 
um, somewhere between this world and the next. Or if you prefer, find me on Twitter at Dr. Gain. And James, where are you? I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at RoddersJ04. My main reviews and links to stuff I do can be found at thereviewingrodders.co.uk. And I also have a new review up on movingpicturesfilmclub.com. So go and check those out. Cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Russ Loves Movies. I post anything that I write there. I retweet any of my tweets about my podcast. My podcast is not just for kids, and it looks at family films throughout the ages. And occasionally we dabble in horror, so we've done Gremlins, Jaws, Jurassic Park. Grave of the Fireflies is a pretty horrific film, and we've just covered that. So, yeah, you can find me there. We've got a Patreon channel. Uh, We've just had Vincent on talking about the two Zack Snyder Batman films. James is going to come on next month to talk to us about Teen Titans Go to the movies as well as the Lego Batman movie. And I've got many plans afoot for that. So yeah, come and listen to my other podcast. It's a lot of fun. So as ever, thank you so much for joining us. Watch lots of horror because there's a lot out there to watch. Enjoy the smattering of sun we're getting because I look outside to blue sky. So I'm going to go outside and get in the sun in a minute and roll around with a new dog. And remember, as always, to to stay safe and stay groovy.